Let me ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. This summer we are <clears throat> focusing on a series where we are looking at the one another statements, especially in the New Testament that pertain to the church and to the community of the church and what all of those have to do with who we are to be. In Romans 12, verse 10, it says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. The AIDS patient was in his final stages. He was quite sick. He was staying in a a place where there were other patients uh, with a similar diagnosis, with similar problems. From time to time, uh, groups would come in and would visit with folks there. Some of them would pray with them. One group came in from a church. They prayed with him for healing. A few days later, someone came and was visiting with him. And he said, tell me, a few days ago there were people here and they prayed for me and for my healing. Were they Christians? Well, why do you ask, was the question. Why do you wonder whether they were Christians? Don't you want to be healed? And he said, well, yes, I would like to be healed, but I would rather be loved. And they didn't even ask me my name. Be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. What's it mean to us? We are going to look in 1 Corinthians 13 in just a moment. But I want to, even before we get to that passage that is often called the love chapter, I want to lay a foundation of three brief points from other aspects of of Scripture, any of which could be entire sermons or sermon series. The first is this, in Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to stay in 1 Corinthians 13, but uh, if you want to look these up at some point, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on, as it gives the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the reason I point that out is because we mustn't make the mistake of thinking that love is a gift of the Spirit. In other words, not everyone has every gift of the Spirit. But all of those 
who are in Christ Jesus, all of those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life, do and ought to display have the fruit of the Spirit. So it's something for all of us, not just for those that happen to be loving people or get the gift of love from God. Secondly, in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We do not come by love naturally. It is supernatural. While all who are in Christ have that as a fruit, we need to understand that it comes to us from God. We will not just have it naturally. It is something that we are to show. We are to be conscious about it. We are to make effort in that way. And here's the other thing about that. Don't worry about anyone else. If you are thinking, okay, boy, he's going to give it to him today. Those people I know that are unloving, I am so glad so-and-so's here. Or I wonder if so-and-so is here. You don't worry about anybody else. It's not about you causing others to love. This is for you. It's for me. We are not to try to make others love. You can't do that. But rather, it is supernatural and the source is God. Thirdly, John 13, and this is in the context of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples very near the end of his life. And he says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all here's the point, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love shows whose we are. If you love the world, you are a disciple of the world. If you love one another, you are showing that you belong to Christ. He has shown us the ultimate way to do that. Now, I want us to focus for just a few minutes on 1 Corinthians 13. Here's the problem with 1 Corinthians 13. If you have been in uh, the church for any length of time, you're going to say, oh yeah, I know 1 Corinthians 13. 
I hear that at, at weddings, and I know all about that. It's so familiar. And you know what? It is. But we can't stay away from it just because it is familiar. And then some of you might say, well, I, I never heard of 1 Corinthians 13. Well, we're not going to presume that you have. That's okay if you've never heard of it. It is a chapter in the Scripture that I think gives us in, in capsule form many of those qualities that we see elsewhere. There are a, a number of characteristics that we will be given here in just a moment. And I'm going to group them. We're not going to talk about each one. As I said, uh, that one chapter could easily be a whole sermon series in its, itself. But in 1 Corinthians 13, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul said this, If I speak in the tongues of men, and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I always go through my sermon a, a time or two on Saturdays up here, and, and uh, yesterday I was here and I read that verse and I looked around and I saw the cymbals and, and I thought, oh, that, that'd be good. I'll go back and I'll bang it. I couldn't get any noise out of them, though, and, and I didn't know where the sticks were, but just picture this. You know, it would, it would be like, uh, uh, you know, me just banging back there, coming up here, and instead of bringing a message from God's Word, just doing that for a half hour. Oh, how pleasant would that be? How valuable would that be? And, and that's really what he's saying here is that, look, you can, you can be a great preacher or teacher or singer, but if you don't have love, you are just a hollow shell. Not very encouraging. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers, now he's going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains. So what he's saying is, you may be the kind of person that when it comes to prayer, people flock to. They say, you know, when so-and-so prays, things happen. That's who I want praying for me. And Paul says... You know what, if you've, if you've got those things, but you don't have love, here he's showing the value of love, you're nothing. So he starts out, you're, you're a hollow shell, and then you're nothing. And then, thirdly, verse 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love. I gain nothing. Do you see his progression here? He goes from I'm a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I am nothing. 
And not only I am nothing, but I gain nothing. You know, there's a lot of folks that think, okay, well, here's a way to, to get a crown in heaven. If you're a martyr, you'll get a crown. Or maybe I'll give away everything I have. And he says, you're not going to gain a thing if you are loveless in doing that. The man next door had just moved in, he and his family. And so, I went over, and uh, it was Sunday morning. He moved in on Saturday, and he was carrying a big box. And I said to him, hey, how about coming to my church today? It's Sunday after all. And the man said, you know, maybe, put down the box, maybe, if you had offered me a cup of water or offered to help me with this box, maybe sometime I would think about going to your church. But for right now, he told this neighbor, I'm tired and I'm busy and I'm not interested. Well, the neighbor persisted and uh, he let that go in all of his rudeness and he asked him a few more times and that neighbor that had just moved in wasn't interested and so he said, and so now I just try to ignore him because I know he's just rude. Be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. How do we show love? You might be thinking, okay, well, I, I get it. I get the importance of love. I hear what Paul is saying here. Well, now he's about to get real specific. And what he is going to do is he's going to give us some 16 or so characteristics. And in essence, he's saying, look, take these and compare them to what you think of as love and see how it compares. As I said, I'm going to group some of these. Look at verse 4. He said, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. You know, when my uh, parents had their 50th anniversary, and this was a, a good while back, if my father had lived, they'd be into their 60-something anniversaries. But I was kind of emceeing a little get-together, and they uh, had me reading some of the cards. And on one of the cards, it said, Dear Wesley and Irene, I don't know who should get more credit for be staying married for 50 years. Now, I thought, as I read that out loud, I thought, ooh, who would write that on a 50th anniversary? But then the more I thought about it, I thought, oh, how true. You know, isn't, isn't that what real love is, is knowing somebody to that degree and still loving them. Continuing 
to love even, even once you really, really get to know other folks. Love is kind. Takes pressure without lashing back or plotting to lash back. Love does not envy. It's not jealous. You know, there's a link between that word and the original and hatred. It goes in two directions. Uh, envy is longing to be where someone else is or to have something someone else has or to be who someone else is. And hatred is right behind that. It's, it's connected to it. You know, it, it's like this. Oh, she's so thin. Don't you just hate her? I'm using that because that's one example I've never said. <laughs> but can you picture that? Wall Street Journal had an article called Style versus Substance. It said half the adults who purchase athletic apparel participate in the sport it's designed for. 50% of all buyers of tennis shoes don't play tennis or even own a racket. buyers of running shoes don't run at all. 43% buying leotards never work out in them. Now that's one I don't get because I, it, it seems like most who don't work out ought to stay as far away from leotards as they... But that was in the article. Now, here's, here's the point. They're saying it's, it's all style over substance. Now, that's okay when it's buying tennis shoes or running shoes or uh, athletic apparel. But what about when that kind of thing, style over substance, leaks into the church? That's when it's a problem. That's what he's, he's addressing here. You know, some come to a church like ours, and if you're visiting, you know, you may walk in and you, and you, you look around and think, oh, man, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't go here. These people all got it together. And, you know, looking out at you, I could say, yeah, you do. Most of you look like you've, uh, you've got it together. And I could see that feeling, but you know what? I also know you. And I know that, you know, everyone in here, there's something going on in their life. And this is the place where it's okay. Now, it's not that we need to come in and, you know, during worship, that's not necessarily the place to, you know, let it all out and so on. But the body of Christ, that's the place where it's okay. It's the safe place where we can be who we are and struggle with what we struggle with and be able to know we're still loved. Love does not boast. It's not arrogant. Jesus told about that in Luke 18. He told this parable to some 
It says, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other tax collector. The Pharisee, you know the story, many of you. He prayed out loud and, you know, he said, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And then he talked about all the good things that he did in his mind. I fast twice a week, I tithe, that kind of thing. And then it says the tax collector, he went far away. And all he could say, all he could get out of his mouth was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But then Jesus says, that's the one. That's the one that got it. And he went away justified. Now, you don't want to be like the boy in Sunday school who heard that story. Then he said, God, thank you that we are not like that Pharisee. See, that's the temptation. Instead, we are those who sin. And yet, this is the place for people with that struggle. And then he goes on, verse 5, Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Think about this for a minute. Think about how you treat your own family. Because sometimes people are a whole lot more polite and less rude to people outside of their family than they are to their own family. You know what? I know what happened in your car this morning, some of you. And if it didn't happen this morning, it happened to some of you previously. Here's what happened. Dad was ready to go. See, I told you I knew what happened. <laughs> Dad was ready to go and uh, he said, look, we're, we're not going to get a seat if we don't get there. Um, come on, everybody. We're leaving in, you know, four minutes. Starting now, you know. And... The kids are, you know, they're being slow. They're tired, you know, and all that. And mom's getting them ready. And he says, okay, I'm leaving. The car's turned on, and he, everybody gets in the car, and mom feels like she's only halfway put together and feeling flustered with that. And all the way to church, the kids are at each other, and mom is saying, you kids, I'm going to put you out of the car. No, I'm not. I'm going to take you to Sunday, you know, and, and everybody's real frustrated. And then you come into the parking lot. Okay, everybody smile. We're at church now. <laughs> well, you know, we laugh about it, but Sometimes in our own family we are that way. That ought not to be the case, and it ought not to be the case in the church family, where we take one another for granted, where we somehow see this is the enemy. No, it's not. This is the family. Love, verse 6, does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
you know, some folks, it just seems like they, they take pleasure. They can't wait to tell somebody else about someone's downfall because somehow it makes them feel better or about troubles another church is having or something. That ought not ever to be our attitude. Look at the contrast. Verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And love never ends. Now, he goes now into the enduring quality of love. He says, as for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. You see, Folks in that day were saying, these, these are the really important things in our church. These gifts, prophecies and tongues and so on. And he says, look, those things, they're temporary. They're going to pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. You know, the mirrors there weren't sharp like ours. It was like you got a little bit of an image, and he says pretty soon it's going to be sharp face to face with him. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I've been fully known. So now, he says, verse 13, faith, hope, and love abide. How important are all those? Faith, hope, and love. They abide. They dwell. These three. But he says, the greatest of these is love. Why is that? Well, here's the problem. Most of you know most of what I've just said. Most of you, if, you if, if we took a quiz, and whether or not you knew 1 Corinthians 13 or not, and you had said, list things that are loving acts, you would have come up with a number of these or similar things. It's not that we don't know what love is. It's that we have tried and we mess it up too often. We fail too often. Let me take you to the greatest act of love ever. And the place you'll see that is gazing at the cross. That's the greatest act of love ever. On the cross was patience. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Was kindness. Father, forgive them. Humility, a lack of arrogance. Not insisting on His way, but submitting to the Father's way. Not my will, but yours. On the cross was rejoicing in the truth, was bearing all things, including my sin and the sin of all who believe, enduring all things. 
a love that never ends. He left the cross, but his love continues. The greatest of these is love. And Christ showed it. It's only Christ in us that can show that love to others in any kind of consistent way. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't. You can try, but you can't. It's not easy or natural, it's supernatural. Richard Seltzer, uh, in his book, Mortal Lessons, tells the account of a, a young surgeon. The surgeon told this story. He said, I entered into the hospital room and I saw the young woman, her face with her mouth was twisted, post-operative, almost clownish. And she lay there as I walked in. You see, he says, a, a tiny twig of a nerve had been cut. Oh, the surgeon had carefully followed along the muscle. He said, I assure you of that. And yet, to remove the tumor, the nerve had to be severed. And so, she was there with her young husband in the room. He was on the other side of the bed. And as the surgeon walked in, he said to himself, who are these people? Who gaze at each other with such love, so generously, so passionately. This young man and this wry mouth that I have created. She looked up at the surgeon and, and said, Will I always be this way? The surgeon said, yes, you will. The nerve was cut. And she's silent. But the young husband, he smiled and he said, I kind of like it. It's cute to me. And the surgeon said, all of the sudden I knew who he was. He said, I lowered my gaze because one is not bold in the presence of a God. And then he said, ignoring me, the young husband leaned down 
to kiss his wife. And he said, I was close enough that I could see him twist his lips to match up with hers just to show her that their kiss still worked to accommodate her. Jesus on the cross died with an accommodating love for us. It fit our helpless need for him. It fit our need for redemption. And so, it is with Christ in us that we are called to show an accommodating love for those around us. A cup of cold water love. An AIDS patient love. A foot washing love. A Christ empowered, Christ driven love for those that he has given to us. Let's bow together.